what is being communicated in God's Word. This morning, I'm going to talk about Kingdom Harvest. We started a series last week called Kingdom Critical, and we talked about kingdom soil, and we dealt with the first part of Matthew chapter 13, in which the Spirit of God uh, inspired Jesus' teaching, and Jesus began to communicate about this sower who went out to sow, and when he sowed, there were four different areas or four different ways that the seed of God's Word was received. And so if you did not hear that message, I would encourage you to go back and hear it, uh, uh, hear it, and that way you can understand where we're coming from foundationally, because we need to see the kingdom of God in our our days. Amen. Amen. And, and if we're going to see the kingdom of God, the, the, the theme of this series is kingdom critical because our world doesn't just need to hear about church or to, to hear about, you know, good things that may have happened on your Sunday. The world needs to encounter the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The world needs to encounter the kingdom of God. But if we are not living as kingdom people, if we don't have a kingdom mindset, if we're not ready and fit for the kingdom, as one of my pastor friends preached to us years ago, if we're not, then, then, then the world is not going to see the kingdom, right? If we're not surrendered to the king, then there's going to be issues. And so this morning, again, we're going to talk about kingdom harvest, kingdom harvest. And so you should have your outline and you follow along in the introduction. Jesus said, and I shared this last week, the harvest is, or the harvest truly is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38. It is important for us to realize that we are living in harvest time. Hallelujah. Jesus said these words. He looked up and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we don't have a harvest issue. We have a laborer issue. Hallelujah. Right? And, and I shared this last week, and I want to reiterate it. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out volunteers. Hallelujah. He didn't say, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out weekend warriors. That's not what he said. He didn't say, pray the Lord of the harvest to send people for the midweek service. That isn't what he said. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers, those who are given their life every day, not just Sunday, not just Wednesday, not just Thursday. No, no, no. But every single day, you and I are called to be laborers, are we not? This is what Jesus is, is, is telling his disciples to pray for because there's something that we have to realize. Jesus is extremely concerned and focused on the harvest. To the point that the scripture says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Because other folks weren't so concerned about the harvest that he was concerned about. And, and really nothing has changed. But we have this truth that Jesus communicates. So we have been called, the scripture tells us, that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim his praises. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. You are a peculiar people, right? You are a chosen generation, right? You, and and you, you are a set apart people is what that scripture teaches us. And it says that you would proclaim the praises of our God. You've been called out of darkness in order to proclaim praises, right? You have been taken from the, listen now, you've been taken from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, so that way you can be a proclamant, you can be someone who is declaring the wonders, the power, and the majesty of God Almighty. That's what we have all been called to do. But what I want you to know is this, is that this isn't about simply singing songs, amen? 
This isn't just about telling stories or just giving testimonies, but this is about proclaiming praise. That means ascribing honor to the Savior, ascribing honor to the Deliverer, ascribing honor to the Healer, ascribing honor to the One who redeemed you, and, and, that's all, that's capitalized because I want to emphasize there, and desires to save, deliver, heal, and redeem others as well. That's the harvest, hallelujah. That's what he's concerned about. He's, he's, he's not, listen, he saved you so you could be a vessel of salvation to others. I was so blessed today as we were in worship. I saw my sister Kathy up here worshiping. And I don't know if you re remember, but a couple of months ago, we prayed for her before she went into heart surgery. Do you not think that that's a proclamation of praise today? I mean, she was jumping. She was moving. It was like, amen, glory to God. God didn't answer us the way that we wanted him to. Nonetheless, she is here today to proclaim praises unto God of what God has done, amen? Of how God has redeemed, restored. And she has a testimony to share to bring that kingdom witness into the world. But that's not just her. That's everybody in the room. God has liberated you from something, and you got to know that God wants to liberate others the same way that he liberated you. Here's the thing I want you to think about this morning. The harvest is plentiful, but the opposition is relentless. The harvest is plentiful, but the opposition is relentless. You need to know that Jesus came to seek to save those who were lost. Jesus came, died to redeem, to deliver, to set free those who do not have a relationship with him. Jesus came to be that one who paid the ransom for all of us who are lost. That is what our Jesus did. But you need to know something, that there is an enemy that is just as relentless to destroy lives. There is an enemy that is just as relentless to destroy families. And, and, and if, you, if, you, if you are a Christian, come on now. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to know something. He can't, listen, he, he's like, I can't take them away, but I can get them unfocused. I can't snatch them from the hands of, uh, of, the, of the God who redeemed them, but I can get them focused on other stuff so they forget about the harvest. So they forget about the kingdom harvest that is important to him, that is important to the Lord. And so you have to realize this, the attacks that you see in your life, the things you see going on in your life. Listen, I'm not telling you those things are not real, that they're not important, that they're not significant. What I am saying is you need to see them for what they are. It's either an opportunity for you to be used for the kingdom or an opportunity for you to shut your mouth for the king. Hello. And not say anything. And be so consumed with whatever it is that is going on in your life that you're not the person that God wants you to be. You're not that voice of deliverance that God wants you to be. You're not that worker in the kingdom that God wants you to be. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to feel so beat up and beat down that we have no motivation to serve the Lord the way that we ought. Again, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest for laborers, not volunteers, not weekend warriors, not people who show up once in a while, not people who come whenever they get a little itch. No, 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 no. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers because, what, we have a relentless enemy. You think the enemy's just going to sit back and say, oh, yeah, go get that one. Yeah, take that one. Yep, that one at work, you got him. Just No, no, he's not going to do none of that. Oh, those children, oh, they're, they're going to they're, they're kick, scream. I mean, you got testimonies in this room. Come on now. Uh, I know too, we're in this room right now, my, you know, that my sister Eleanor and my mom, right? I, they, 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 man, they, they went to war for their kids. Come on now. 
Like, I'll show up once in a while. No, no, hold on a second. Souls are at stake here. Come on now. That's what we, we should be concerned about the kingdom. So the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, you can't sleep on the opposition. You can't sleep on the opposition. What we see here in verses 25 to verse 28, look at what it says. It says, but while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Just to bring us into the context of the agricultural mentality of those who were hearing this message, they were concerned about the seed that they purchased. Because seed can be mixed, and so you go and you think you're getting pure seed, and you're really getting seed mixed with weeds. Because seeds, you know, unless you sit there and study them, right, you're just grabbing seeds out of a bag or whatever the case may be. You're not looking at each seed to see, okay, this is a good seed, that's a bad seed. You're grabbing the seed, and your hope is what? That you have bought good seed, that the person who sold you this seed has done what was right. That's what you're hoping, especially in those times. And so when the, when, when, when the crop came, all of a sudden these tares popped up. And the servant is like, hold up, I, I thought you sowed good seed. Oh, he's like, oh, I did. We'll get to that in a moment. But he's like, I did sow good seed, but an enemy came and did this. This, this wasn't the seed I bought. I, I know who I bought the seed from. Come on now. I know what I sowed into the ground But what I'm seeing is something that is the result of an enemy. And what I'm telling you, church, is that you and I cannot sleep on the opposition just thinking that everything's going to be okay. Well, I'm a Christian. I said a prayer, right? So everything's going to be okay, right? Like I I told you guys last week, let me me talk about it again this week because I know you want to hear it again. I told you all about tithing last week, right? I said, you know, some people, they come, they want to give to the Lord. They're going to give 10% because what? They're going to go back to Malachi chapter 3, and they're going to be like, you're going to rebuke the devourer, and you stand on that. Okay, amen. Praise the Lord. Stand on God's promises for sure, that when you sow into the kingdom, that, you, that, that God is going to rise up on your behalf. But then don't walk out of there and say, well, I'm going to spend money on this. I'm going to invest money like this. I'm going to waste money like that. I'm going to, wait a second, your problem isn't blessing. Your problem is stewardship. Come on now. What you are doing is you're saying, God, here's 10% and protect me from foolishness, but I'm not going to obey you. How does that work? It doesn't. It doesn't. God's not some genie in a bottle. The beauty of it is this, is that he'll walk with you through whatever stuff you mess up, right? (sighs) See, it's imperative for us to realize that what the enemy wants more than anything else is a sleeping church. Let me say it again. Maybe you're sleeping. I don't know. But what the enemy wants more than anything else is a sleeping church. He wants a church to be vulnerable. He wants a church to be unresponsive. He wants a church to be an easy target. He wants to be able to come into your life, sow something bad, and keep it moving. Because not about that moment right there, that moment when you're chillaxing, you know, that moment. 
When, when, when everything seems so good and you can just chill, you can just, just sit back and, and wait, wait, wait a second, he just sow something there and then all of a sudden down the road you're like, where did that come from? Oh, when were you sleeping? When was it that you were sleeping? So as I was thinking about this point, I was like, man, let me not just run past this. Like, what is it that causes the church to sleep? If you're taking notes, you should write these down. What is it that caused the church to sleep? The first one that, I, that I'll share with you is a thing called apathy. The church sleeps because they are apathetic. And what that means is they have no vision. What does the scripture say? Book of Proverbs says that where there is no vision, where there is no prophetic vision, what do people do? They cast off restraint. Another text says that where there is no vision, people perish. The book of Proverbs says they cast off restraint. You know what, you know what that means, cast off restraint? I remember preaching this years ago. And when I looked it up, it literally meant something like taking off a seatbelt. I don't know about you, but when I get in the car, right, like almost the first thing that I do is do what? Put on your seatbelt. Click it or ticket, right? So you don't want a ticket. But what I know is that there is a certain level of insecurity when you don't have a seatbelt on. Especially if things start getting hairy. Like if the road is nice and smooth and there's no other cars on the road, like you're not thinking about it. But once you get into a situation where things are not so calm and you don't have a seatbelt on, you're feeling some kind of way. When we're driving down the highway or we're in the vehicle together and my wife has to take the seatbelt off, she always informs me before she takes the seatbelt off, I am taking my seatbelt off right now. In other words, do not get me killed while I have this seatbelt off. Drive your best at this. This is not the moment to change lanes. This is not the moment to take your, this is not the moment to drive by faith. In other words, don't close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. I have a tendency to do that stuff. Nonetheless, she is making it crystal clear. I am not in the best situation right now for you to be acting crazy. Why does the church sleep? The church sleeps because of apathy. Because we have no vision. We don't see why it is that we're doing what we are doing. I love the worship, man. I, can, can we just give the Lord a hand of praise to our music ministry and just thank them, and, and, and especially Minister Hector, for just being sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord, just reminding us of why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? We do it for the glory of God. We do it for the one who died and rose for us. We do it for the one that when we come into his presence again and, and, and we enter in beyond that veil of life, beyond that veil of flesh, beyond that veil of everything we've known, that when we get there, oh my goodness, the glory of God will be so overwhelming. That is why we do what we do. We don't do it just because someone asked. We don't do it just because there was a need. We don't do it just, no, we, we, we don't do it for our own namesake, our own glory's sake. We do it for the glory of God. We need a vision of why we do what we do. We need a vision of why we, why, why we share the gospel with our neighbors. We need a vision of why we serve our neighbors, why we serve those that, that we might not even like. Hallelujah. Difficult, right, when Jesus says to love your enemies. tough. But you know what Jesus is doing? He's giving you a vision of what the Father looks like. And he's saying, you love your enemy because I have loved my enemies. I have shed blood for my enemies. And so we need a vision because if not, we become apathetic. And let me say this because I think that this is really important, especially for those of you that are more veterans in the faith. The longer you're in the faith, the easier it is to become apathetic. The easier it is to think, well, someone else can do that. Who said? 
I just, my, my, one, one, one of my pastor friends, he's having a 30-year celebration and retirement service this afternoon. And so I, I, I couldn't go because I have responsibilities that I'm going to be part of. But they asked me, they said, hey, can you at least send them a video? And so I sent, him, I sent him a video, and, you know, I said, hey, thank you. I, I remembered, you know, a couple of things that he did for me as, you know, a young man in, 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 in my life as a follower of Jesus. And then I, I, when, when I was closing the message, I was like, you know, I just want you to know something. I don't believe in retirement. I believe in rewirement, yes. I think things change. But again, Jesus didn't say, hey, I just need people to be here until they're 50. 55 and a half. I just need you to be here until you retire from your job, and then you can go and live how you want to live. Really? I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's biblical. I don't, I, I don't see where that is. I mean, my goodness, how, how, how old was Caleb when they went into the promised land? 80, in case you didn't know. How, how old was Moses when God... Encountered him in the, in the burning bush? How many 80-year-olds we have in the room? Or plus? We have one, two, three, four. We got four. They're, they're still ready to go for ministry, glory to God. My grandmother told me the other Sunday, she's like, hey, remember, I'm a member of this church. If you need me to do something, I can do it like, amen, praise the Lord. She can't do it as quick, glory to God. You know, she can't because she's 80, Amen. But nonetheless, she is ready to say, what, what am I saying? What I am saying is we have to have this mentality broken in us, and we have to get delivered from this apathy so we can wake up and serve the Lord the way that he's called us to. What's another reason why we sleep in the church? Exhaustion. Sometimes exhaustion makes us apathetic. Man, I've been doing this for so long. I need someone else to do this. Okay, have you trained somebody else? See, that's the thing, right? Like, we, we, we get busy doing, but are we developing? That's what disciple-making is. Amen, somebody? That's what making disciples is, right? Making disciples is developing people for the works of service. But what happens is we get exhausted. And, and, and you know what, 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 I, what I know for certain, 100%, we get exhausted because of a lack of rest. But let me explain this to you. Lack of rest is intimacy is what I'm talking about. I remember going through a study. We were reading a book about creating a discipleship culture. And as we were reading that book, they came to one point that they were talking about Sabbath. And they said something that really just, I mean, one of the things that I took away from the book, greater than anything else, is that Sabbath isn't for you to live to. Sabbath is for you to live from. Hear the difference. It's not for you to work Monday or, or Sunday, right, if you're going to think Sabbath, Saturday. It's not for you to work Sunday through Friday so you can get to rest on Saturday. It's that you rest on Saturday so you can live from that place of rest. That's what should be happening. We should be, but you know what happens is this, is that I'm not talking about rest like sitting on a couch. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the rest you need. You think sometimes that's the rest you need. I think that's the rest I need sometimes. But you know, what, you know what rest we need as believers if we're not going to burn out, if we're not going to become exhausted, if we're going to be able to be like Caleb, who at 80 years old was like, yo, I feel like I'm 40. Let's do this thing. Ready to, ready to conquer giants, ready to climb mountains and conquer giants. So not only was homeboy going to conquer the giants, he was going to climb a mountain to conquer those giants. Come on now. How do you do that? 
You gotta have intimacy. You gotta have intimacy. Every single pastor that's ever burned out or anything like that, the number one thing that was lacking in their life was intimacy with the Lord. Your pastor who stands before you today, whenever I miss intimate time with the Lord for a consistent period of time, you want to know what I'm on the verge of? Man, I'll go do something else. But the moment that I get into the presence of God, the moment that I engage him with, in, in that intimate moment, the moment that I rest in his presence, oh man, everything changes. My vision changes. My perspective changes. My hope changes. I'm strengthened. I'm encouraged. Why? Because, man, I got to have that. But why do we sleep? We sleep because of apathy, because of exhaustion. Another reason is just simply because of comfort. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all like them chairs you sit in, right? They're comfortable. Amen. Glory to God. You would, I wonder if we had wooden benches with no back on them if you would come back next week. I wonder if we turned the AC off. I know some of you are like, can you please turn the AC off? Glory to God. But anyway... Comfort. Comfort. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to have to stretch ourselves. We don't want to have to get, oh, for our stuff we will. But for kingdom stuff, no, no, no. Hold on a second. We, we, comfort. We, we get to that place where there is no urgency. That's what comfort is. No urgency. I'm, you know, you know my, my, my neighbors, my coworkers, they're completely lost. I know it. I listen to the music. I look at the way that they talk. I look at the way that they live. I, look at, I, I hear the jokes they share. I know that they don't know God. Is there any urgency in your heart for their soul? Seriously. Is there any concern? Is there, any, is, is there anything that moves inside of you? See, everything that we do, everything that we do here, when you, when you look at what you serve on a Sunday, if you serve as a, as a core connect group leader, whatever it is that you do, you've got to understand that there's an urgent reason. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is closer than ever. I got one amen and no, and like a couple of nods. See, that's what I'm saying. We're just comfortable. We're good, right? We're okay. But is there urgency in your heart? Is there something that moves you to say, man, God, I got I, I to gotta step up my game in serving you. I got to figure out how can I be of more impact for the kingdom? How can I be part of what you are doing? Can I ask you a question? What do you think God's will is for Core Faith Church? Just in your own, in your own minds. Write it down. Just right there in your notes. Write it down. What do you think God's will is for Core Faith Church? Can I tell you something? God's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of one thing. There is one thing that God is concerned with and one thing that God wants us to be faithful in. And it is this. It is not about filling a room with people. It is not about getting more people in the building. It is about bringing more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus and building them in their faith. Are you here? We say it every week. Pastor Aldo says it every single week. We engage people where they are, building faith in Christ. Here's my question. Let me ask it. Let me, let, let me say it softly. How many people are you engaging throughout your week? How many people are you engaging throughout your week to help them come to the knowledge of Jesus? Let me ask you this question. Do you have one person in your life right now that you are helping them grow in their faith? I'm not saying this to be condemning. I'm letting you know if you're not, you are not following the mandate of God, not the mandate of core faith. You're not following the mandate of God. You understand that you are called to make disciples. You get that, right? It's not, it's, it's not the preacher. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. It's not the ministers. You and I, as people of God, we are all called to make disciples. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, we're called to make, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you could be like, well, I'm not, I can't develop anyone because I need Jesus. Amen. I, I hear that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, man, who, who are you discipling? That, that's what God's will is for Core Faith Church, is that we be a disciple-making church. We can just say amen right there and call it a day. You want me to? We got to humble ourselves. I know some of y'all are like, yeah, Bishop, let's go. We're done. Can't let you out too early. Glory to God. So we have to realize this. Another reason, which this, scared, this, this one scares me more than the other three, and you'll know why. It's called God's judgment. Why does the church sleep? Because of God's judgment. When you ignore God and you don't obey him and you do what you want to do and you don't respond to him the way that you should, you know what he does? Romans 11.8. He places a spirit of stupor on you. And what is he quoting? He's quoting Isaiah 29. And what does it say in Isaiah 29? It says he puts them into a deep sleep. Now, contextually, he's talking about Israel. But what I want you to know is that the same way that he put Israel to sleep for their constant rebellion and rejection of his word, he will do the same to you. Because why is he going to waste his words on you? That's a scary place to be, right? If you think about, man, am I, am, am I under God's judgment? Do I, do I not feel conviction for what I hear? Do I not feel compelled to move in action toward being a laborer in the service of the Lord? Do I not feel compelled to repent of sin? Do I not feel compelled to live differently? Man, if we don't feel compelled, there's a problem. So we have to realize this. Again, sleeping today will allow the enemy to plant problems in our future. If we sleep today... The enemy will sow stuff, and later on you find yourself running into issues and problems, and you're not even sure where they came from, but it was from the time that you were sleeping. These are the consequences of being asleep. So what needs to happen to us is that we must be committed to fight against our tendency to sleep. We've got to fight against exhaustion. And so if you are exhausted in this place, let me invite you into the presence of God. Not because I have this key to open up the door, but simply invite you to seek the face of God. To simply, listen, just test the theory of what I'm saying. Spend time every day in the presence of God for the next seven days. And you tell me if that doesn't change your life. Not just like five minutes of a quick little devo that you do. Listen, separate yourself to the Lord. Separate yourself in the presence of God. And I assure you, the exhaustion you feel, whatever it is that you're going through in your soul, your spirit, whatever is wearing you down, guess what? The presence of God will work miraculously. It's just truth. He comes. He changes us. We got to fight against comfort. Listen, that's one of the biggest things for us is to fight against comfort. To think that we've done enough or that, you know, we, 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 don't, need to, we don't need to serve him anymore. Like, no, 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 come on now. God, how can I serve you more? How can I serve you more faithfully? 
And when I think about the words that I look forward to Jesus saying one day, and, and as we prayed this morning, we, we were in that time of prayer, and just in my heart of hearts, it's like, God, I long so much to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful church attender. Well done, good and faithful tither. Well done, good and faithful musician. Well done, good and faithful teacher. Well, no, th those aren't the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. You know that joy we were singing about? Enter into the joy of your God. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the presence of the one who has this unspeakable joy. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, opposition, opposition. Can't, stop can't stop the harvest. Opposition cannot stop the harvest. You know what I love about the text? The text says that the tares were revealed after the crop came. In other words, the crop happened even though the enemy had sown that stuff, even though the opposition was there, there wasn't a stopping of the harvest. That didn't happen. The opposition can't stop the harvest. Notice the desire. What is the desire of the servant? Look at verse 27. So the servant of the landowner it sa it says these things to him. Verse 29, I'm sorry. He says, but he said no. Or verse 28, he says, and he said to him, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? What did he say? He says, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So, you know, can I, can I just say this to encourage you? You know why God doesn't, like, lay the smack down on every evil person you know? Because he loves you. Are you here? This is what, that, that's what the text says. Not me. I'm saying, he said, no, because if we uproot them, if we get rid of them, then guess what? We can mess you up. So, really, he loves you, and he allows all of that stuff to go on, all of those things to be happening. All of, he allows all that to occur to even help you grow in your faith. But what, what is the natural tendency? The natural tendency for the servant was what? To clean stuff up. I want to clean it up. Let's clean up this mess. Let's get all this wickedness out of here. Let's, let, let, let's get all that dirt, all that mess. Let's get all that mess out of here. But what does the, what, what, what the, the master say? He says, no, 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 leave it all there. Let it be mixed up. Let it be a mess. So Jesus allows it to, to happen this way. He allows us to go through the things that we are going through to develop us. And let me say this. One of the dangers we face in our day, when you look at this, this, this thing with the wheat and the tares, because notice they kind of look the same. They look, they, they look like, it all looked like good stuff until the fruit happened, until the harvest. And then it was like crystal clear. Wait a second. Those are tares. This is wheat. See, one of the greatest fears for me as a leader in a church is false conversions. It's people who sit in churches and think they're saved and think they're okay with God and think they're going to heaven for whatever reason they think that because they've heard of the grace of God because we've done, done such a great job of expressing the magnitude of God's love. But that's what we're seeing here in this picture 
is we're seeing what we would think is, wait a second, the, the building is full, right? The, the crop is full. And so I guess everybody in there, they're all saved. It's not true. It's false. It's important for us to realize this. It's important for us to recognize that this is not true. Here's the thing I want you to know is that that will not stop the harvest. The harvest is still plentiful. The harvest is still plentiful. Here's the fact that I want you to know this. We can, all, we, can all, we can all exhale on this one. Because we are sinful, because we are imperfect, because we are fallen, the enemy will always catch us sleeping. There is no one in this room, there is no one online, there is no one on this planet that has never had a moment when they fell asleep. When they were lax, when they should have been attentive. When they were not seeking God the way that they ought to have, they, every one of us falls into that. And so we have to realize that this is going to create some difficulty. There's going to be some tension. But here's what I want you to know. Our focus can't be on what the enemy sows. Our focus has to be upon what God commands and expects of us. See, the problem with us is that we get so consumed with what the enemy does, with what our, our neighbors that we love do, with what our enemies do. We get, we get so consumed with those things that we forget about what has God commanded us to do. What does God expect of us? See, verse 38, and I don't want to get away from this without looking at this. Verse 38, I want you to look at how Jesus explains this. He says, the field is the world, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. I want you to hear Jesus' words because they're very clear. There are sons of the kingdom and there are sons of the devil. Notice he didn't say there's like sons of the kingdom evil or something like that, right? Like in between sons, right? Like they're, they're sons of the devil king. No, no, no. It's sons of the kingdom and sons of the devil. Black and white. Are you here? Why does this matter? Because we need to pause for a moment. We need to ask ourselves a question. Which one am I? We've got to ask that. Which one am I? Am I a son of the kingdom or daughter? Or am I a son of the devil? So let me help you, because I know it got real quiet. <laughs> let me ask you this. Where are your affections? Are your affections on the things of the kingdom or the things of the world? Where are your passions? Where are your aspirations? Where are your desires? Where are they? Are they on the things of the spirit or are they on the things of the flesh? You got to ask yourself those questions. Because if you're in here or you're listening and you're like, man, my, my aspirations are in the world, not in the kingdom. My desires are more for the things of the flesh than the things of the spirit. Man, it doesn't look good for you. See, I can't judge you eternally, so I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to tell you is if you're honest with yourself and you're saying, man, when I really look at my life, when I really look at the things that I desire, the things that, 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 that move me, they're not things of the kingdom. They're the things that, that gratify and glorify my flesh, not the things that bring honor 
and glory to God. And don't get it twisted. For those of you that missed last week, I made it clear that we should care about the things we should care about. Hello. Because the cares of this world choke up the word of God and, and the hearts of some, right? The, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches is what Jesus says earlier on in this time when he's going through these kingdom parables. But here's the thing. We should care about the things that we have to care about. We shouldn't be consumed about those things, though. That's the difference. It's the difference when you care about something. You know, it's like you have a person that they, they work, they work hard, but then you have the person that is a workaholic. There's a difference. One is healthy. One is good. One is admirable. The other one is destructive. It's the same thing when we're looking at our lives. And so, again, as sons of the kingdom, for those of you that say, yeah, I'm a son of the kingdom, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I didn't ask you if you were perfect. None of us is perfect. I already said that. But if you're a son of the kingdom, you should live as a son of the kingdom. And you should be doing your best, seeking to compel the sons of the devil to turn or burn. Are you here? The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, harvest time, harvest time. will bring judgment, we'll bring judgment to the opposition, the opposition. And, glory and glory to the laborers. Harvest time will bring judgment to the opposition and bring glory to the laborers. So what does Jesus do when he, go, when he comes over here to verse 36? He begins to explain this parable. And what we see in this parable is a picture of God's faithfulness. Again, this should be sobering in one sense, and it should be encouraging. As we approach the end of the age, that this parable, these kingdom parables should point us to the end of the age. As we're looking toward the end of the age, as we're looking toward the return of our Lord, as we're looking toward his kingdom that is coming, as we're looking forward to that, we should be encouraged because all of these things that we're going through, as Pastor Aldo was exhorting us in, 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 our, in our time of worship, and he was talking about all of these things that we're facing, all of the sufferings that we're facing. Listen, sometimes you're not going through anything in particular. It is simply the sufferings of your flesh. Hello. You know, you're not going through anything in particular. One day you wake up and you stand up. You're like, oh, that didn't feel right. That's, you, you didn't do anything. You just, you just had a birthday. Hello. I mean, for real, right? As you get older, there's some sufferings that occur in our lives. There, there's some hardships that we go through, but we look forward to this glory. So Jesus explains this, but he also gives us hope. He gives us certainty, but we should also look at what he says because there is also fear. So here's the thing that I want, that I want to ask you because I think that this is important. Look what Jesus says in verse 39. He says, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And he dives right in to the tares, verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of the age. I want you to know, notice this. The harvest that is plentiful is going to be dealt with in a form of judgment, positive and negative, all at once. But it begins here with the negative side of the judgment. So this is what he goes on and says. He says, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That is talking about eternal torment and suffering. 
No one can say Jesus didn't talk about hell. Right there is him talking about hell. He didn't have to say the words hell to describe hell to you. You know, you could describe a, a, a particular food without saying the name of that food. You could say it has this, that, and this, and this. And, and, and I know you're getting hungry. But as you, as you think about that, you, you don't have to say the food's name in order to say, hey, yeah, there's something that, you know, it has pasta and it has meat sauce and it has cheese. And, you know, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? But anyway... We had lasagna last night. It was pretty good, glory to God. My grandmother, I think the first time she made lasagna, I think I called them um, soupy, soupy, sp soupy spaghettis or something like that, you know? <laughs> Best soup in the world, glory to God. <laughs> I still concur with that feeling, that sentiment. But I, but I could describe it to you, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's describing the suffering that is going to be the result of the tares. But who are the tares? So here's the question again. Does your lifestyle offend God? Does your lifestyle offend God? Are you a lawless person? Are you a person who willfully ignores God's laws and commandments? Again, if you are, then you are positioning yourself to experience the judgment of the tares. This is truth. So again... Does your life offend God? Does the way that you live offend God? If it does, then you should fear because that's what you have coming for you is judgment. Nothing good. I know we don't want to hear that, right? Here's the thing. The other side of that token is what? Because Jesus goes on to say, verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So here's my other question. Are you wrestling with your flesh? Are you fighting your tendencies towards sin? Are you fighting the spiritual battle that you're in, seeking God for victory over it? Are you striving to live values that align with the kingdom, not the world? If so, then you have great hope. You know why? Because the ill effects of the tares and the enticements of the world system and the lies, the devil, all of those things will one day cease. And the scripture says, and you will shine brightly. And you know what he's quoting? He's actually quoting the book of Daniel, chapter 12, and verse 3. And it's a paraphrase. He doesn't go and quote the whole thing. But listen to what Daniel says. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Did you hear what I just read here? This is Daniel. This is Old Testament. This is before the gospel of Jesus Christ is culminated in the person. And what is he saying? Even back then, at the end of the age, the one who leads others to righteousness. Oh, you thought it was just Jesus at the end of his time on the earth when he said, go and make disciples. No, no, no. Back then we were looking forward. Those of you who lead people to righteousness, those of you who turn people to righteousness will shine like stars. But let me give you the gospel because the gospel is our hope. See, if you're sitting in here or you're online and you heard that and you're like, man, my life offends God. Man, my sin offends God. I want you to know the gospel is our hope. <coughs> the gospel is our hope. It is our sure hope. The gospel doesn't fail. Amen? Amen. The fact, the fact, we just celebrated this in a powerful way. 
I thought, I thought Hector, I, I, don't, I don't remember, I think Pastor Aldo said something about grave clothes, and Hector got over there, I thought he was going to start playing grave clothes, glory to God. <laughs> to call Marisol, be, come on Marisol, we're going to do this thing, glory to God. <laughs> the gospel is our sure hope. It is our only hope. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it gives us the foundation of our hope. And I'm getting ready to close here. But here's the thing. It is the foundation of our hope. Death couldn't hold him. Death could not hold him. Therefore, nothing in this life can hold you if you will turn to him. Because what? Because Jesus came and he died in our place. And so if your life, if you said, yes, my lifestyle offends God, guess what? He came and he absorbed your offensive life to offer you a life that brings honor to God. If you are in here and you say, yes, I am a lawless person, I willfully ignore the laws of God, I willfully disobey what I know is right. If you are that person, then God says, turn to me. That is the reason why I hung and died for you. So that way you could have new life. So you could be delivered from your sin. So you could be set free from every plan and every work of darkness. The gospel is our hope. God doesn't want to leave you hopeless. He wants to give you real hope. Not hope in some and and, and something. He wants to give you real hope. Hope that delivers. Hope that sets free. Hope that transforms. So here's my closing questions for you. Number one, are you a child of the kingdom? Are you a child of the kingdom? Have you humbled your heart before God have you said God I don't want to be separated from you anymore I recognize that I am on my way right now I am on my way to a life of torment in eternity but I don't want that have you said that already if you haven't said that today's the day for you to say that Today's the day for you to cry out to him and say, God, I want you to save me. I want you to deliver me. I want you to make me a child of the kingdom. I want to live for your glory. My other question is, are you a laborer or are you asleep? Are you a laborer in the kingdom? Are you a laborer in the harvest or are you sleeping? Listen, so it's two calls, right? One call. And I'm going to invite the leaders forward and those who are part of the intercession and prayer team to come forward so we can pray for anyone who needs prayer, anyone who needs to respond this morning. But listen, if you're in here and you say, I am not a child of the kingdom and you want to be a child of the kingdom, I implore you, come forth today. Let the Spirit of God do something in your heart. Let God change your heart. Let God transform your life. If you are not a child of the kingdom, and if you're in this place today, and you say, man, I am not a laborer in the harvest. I am not a laborer in the harvest the way that I ought to be. I'm not a laborer in the harvest. You know what? And I want to, I don't want to sleep anymore. I want to be a laborer the way that God wants me to be. And you just recognize, Lord, I want you to do that. I, I invite you to come forward as well so we can pray for you. And listen, if you need prayer in this place, if if one of those things that that I didn't say, it's not just about that. But if you need prayer in this place, we want to pray for you as well. And so we're going to worship for a moment. And I open open up this time for you to come forward. Let the Lord minister to your heart. But I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, please. Let's not sit down. Let's stand up. Let's worship the King together. Let's honor him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus.